right, guys, welcome back to Driving Performance. I'm your host, Tom Shea, the co-founder of Agile Media Group, joined by two badass operators today. We've got Shrey Joshi from Good Peeps, Stacey Hartnett from Chomps. Guys, welcome to Driving Performance. Thanks for having us. Very excited to yeah. be here. So um, Chomps is the fastest growing natural meat snack brand in both natural and conventional retail channels. They manufacture meat sticks made from 100% grass-fed and finished beef and venison in a free-range turkey. Their products are Whole30 approved, gluten-free, non-GMO, and carry Trader Joe's, Walmart, and Whole Foods, and plenty of other places. Good Peeps is a full-stack marketing agency. They help in scale and build CPG brands. He's helped companies like Chomps, Fly by Jing, Flying Embers, Cage, Sanzo, and many more to scale both online and offline, offering a full omni-channel experience. Got plenty of them prominently on display here. Um, and so, guys, I, I start off by asking uh, the same question of everyone, because there's going to be a lot of audio-only listeners. How would you describe what the hell is happening right now? You want to go? Sure. Um, we are in a truck in <laughs> Chelsea, Manhattan. <laughs> clear, um, clear sides, recording a podcast. Yeah. So doing something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to hype this up. <clears throat> We're like... We're in, like, the best city in the world right now <laughs> in, like, a very surprisingly tiny truck. Uh, well, the, you know, it's New York. Yeah. There's not a lot of square footage. I was thinking U-Haul when I first <laughs> thought of this. Uh, yeah, in the middle of Chelsea, there's, like, a bunch of random people saying hello and waving and looking at us like we're like psychos. Like this guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, we're talking about all things CPG. Yeah, awesome. And... Perfectly in front of Whole Foods where you can find Chomps, where we literally just got these exactly. Chomps, actually. <laughs> but cool, guys. So um, next question for you. I wanted to just uh, ask, obviously you guys work together, but how did you guys start working together? Is there a story there? How did you guys meet? Oh, I could tell the story. Yeah. Uh, so I Chomps was the first product I've ever bought on subscription on Amazon. This was like when I was in my like fitness grind, like trying to lose weight. I was looking for something that like wasn't like shit and like wanted something that like tasted great so I was like going through Amazon um, saw this like brightly packaged product and I was like I love this so I ended up buying a pack of the original ended up loving them uh, switched over to subscription uh, slid into the founders DMs on Instagram as one does as one does uh, I think Pete was like had a video of him in a golf cart like with like glasses on with like a chomps in his hand and I was like oh my people and so then he's, I just, he's a fitness guy right fitness guy. Like, there's exactly. a lot of those stories rooted yeah. in that mm -hmm. exactly and so i slid into his dms he did not respond for like two <laughs> years and then stacy and i met when i was at health aid mm -hmm. and we were in kind of some of those uh like kind of growth pods where we were like sharing information across businesses right uh so then like the crazy guy i am i just like like slid into stacy's dms on the side and i was like oh my god i love chomps uh and then from there we just like have always yeah. like chatted yeah, it was like a Slack community just reached out and wanted to connect. Just the importance of being in a small brand, growing brand. And I was always looking to connect with the people who have gone through the next step of the business and just surround yourself by the best operators out there. And then we met at Expo yes. for the first time in what person. Year is this? Last year. Last year. Yeah. yeah. Was the first Expo together? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. post COVID. Right, um, right, right. So in person, saw each other at the Thrive yeah. Breakfast. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then just had the opportunity to work together. And like, again, yeah. like just bringing the best people on. Um, there was a gap in our team at the time and um, was just looking for someone smart to kind of jump in and it just kind of grew from there. Yeah, awesome. All right, so I want to set the stage and give you guys a rundown on how this podcast is going to play out. And so obviously we are in a truck and so there's yeah. going to be a few different stops on our route today. 
The first stop is going to be the origin story. So taking us through sort of those inflection points, those career elements that um, got you to where you guys are today. Then we're going to go into brand-specific questions, like alternating questions um, that I thought you guys would be uniquely uh, positioned to offer insight into. The third stop is going to be brand intersection questions, so one question posed to the both of you that you can respond to. And stop four is going to be a game we call the Hot Box, uh, a fun um, tongue-in-cheek version of uh, the Hot Seat. And then stop five is going to be the end of our route where we'll wrap, um, tell people where they can find, learn more about you guys. Sound good? Awesome. Great. Cool. All right. So let's do uh, stop one origin stories. And Stacey, I want to start with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been in, you've lived in a few different places, had a lot of cool different um, careers. Obviously, we were talking about this before the show, John Morris and, and Rise. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just start from the beginning and talk about everything that led up to Chomps? Yeah. So originally Chicago-based, um, wanted to experience a different part of the country, moved out east, was always attracted to kind of the energy out here. Um, went to school at UConn, um, and then moved to the city, moved to New York after. Um, started my career at News America, or Neptune now. Okay. Um, so very large, kind of traditional marketing organization, um, but had the opportunity to work with large CPG. Um, yeah. So thinking about retail media um, on the sales side, so a lot of just formal training, exposure to large clients, so Mars Chocolate, Post Cereal, or okay. a few of the CPG brands and kind of fell in love with that space. Yeah. Um, budget started moving to digital, and right. I just kind of had to think about if I wanted to stay relevant and on the forefront, how do I learn that space? Yeah, and what, what, what timeline is this? That was 2018, okay. 2019. Got it. Um, and so at the time, just wanted to emerge myself in, in all things digital. So started in Chicago, actually made the move back okay. at Rise. Awesome. Um, so went agency side next. Yeah. Um, and started in the account management. So I touched all of the different media channels on site for um, mixed companies in e-commerce space. So Largest and favorite client, Ulta Beauty, um, okay. working on right, them. That's a good one. But worked across, you know, Follett, Education, Pandora, different um, verticals, some CPG a little bit, and then wanted to learn media side. So the last, like, nine, ten months at Rise, managed the paid social team. So okay. switched from account management more into internal media management. So right. saw how channels were run and operated, um, helped kind of grow that out. It was a team of 18 people, so right. got a lot of management experience from there, but always knew I wanted to kind of go to the brand, to side, the brand side, to the brand side. Um, so Chomps Recruiter had reached out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Chomps had actually um, kind of been looking for having this debate of do you do agency management, do you hire internally? decided to hire internally, um, and so started at Chomps. So um, as soon as I met Pete and Rashid in the office, you know, 10 people at the time just fell in love with their mission and vision for the company, really wanted to get back to food and to healthy eating and a mission-driven organization. So um, easy yes to kind of make that jump. Right. so it, it was exciting. So started there managing media hands-on and yeah. then just kind of grew from there. And how did you meet the, the co-founders? Um, they just, Recruiter reached out. Recruiter, um, yeah. Yeah, so cool. they, I believe, had talked to Rise at some point to manage their campaigns. And it was just a larger agency organization. So had reached out to people in the company. And I 
raised my hand and reached back out. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they have a hand in hiring everybody that they bring on to the company and met them, met the team. And, um, yeah, four years later, there you go. right here. There's, yeah. There's a lot of growth of that company, so I'm excited to jump yeah. into it. Um, Shrey, what's, uh, take us back, man. What do you got? Oh, man. Um, all right, so <clears throat> I grew up in San Diego, and, like, my dad was, like, this, like, total hippie vegetarian dude who uh, opened up a, like, health and wellness shop um, doing, like, healthy, like, sandwiches and wraps and all that stuff in, like, Pacific Beach. I think he was, like, 10 years too early. That business failed. Uh, and then he started up a coffee shop. And so in that coffee shop had, like, a bunch of, like, health and wellness products, kind of, um, you know, like, this was back in the day when, like, uh, like, Toomey Tea was, like, just getting taken off and, mm, like, right. all these, like, tiny, like, little, like, niche brands that, like, made it to San Diego. So, like, uh, just, like, being in San Diego, you, you're, like, in the health and wellness space because everyone's, like, sexy and in shape. Um, but, like, I, I was good. not... I looked good when I lived in L.A. Yeah. So I was the complete op. I was, like, 280 pounds when I was, like, growing up because, like... Can we cut scene to a pic? Uh, I can send... I can try to find <laughs> one. It'll be bad. I just don't have a neck. Like, uh... And so, like, I grew up super overweight, like, didn't really understand kind of like, anything about health and wellness, um, and, like, went to college to, to kind of, like, solve for, like, two things. One, I thought it was, like, a psychological thing, where it was, like, my relationship to food. Um, and, like, two, I was, like, cool, like, I want to figure this out, like, I want to get healthier, um, and, like, I want to help other people with that. And so, for, for me, like, doing psychology was going to be the, the, the move for me, so went to college, uh, started my career off in psychology, or rather, I started my uh, major in psychology, and then I had this like aggressively uh, amazing now like one of my like life mentors, like Indian dude who just like at the end of my like first class in his biochemistry course goes like, "You're fat and like you're super overweight." I love um, those cultures where they just don't. Give they a just fuck. don't. They didn't yeah. give a fuck. And like mine of this dude's like. <clears throat> Also, just, like, stomach to, like, you know, he's, like... <laughs> like, you're not, dude? He'll hit the door, like, with his stomach first. Right. And uh, so he goes, like, what's your major? Like, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you at college? And so I, I gave him, like, the full story. He's, like, you're an idiot. Like, you should be a biochem major. Like, that's actually, like, what, you know, that's actually what's going on in your body. All the, the kind of, like, biomechanisms behind, like, you know, what you're eating, how it affects you, et cetera. And he also had a nutrition lab at that time. Um, and so, so I, he was just selling you actually he was completely selling me and so <laughs> new like, client new client acquisition <laughs> I was like 18 and I was like cool like someone's telling me like what to do and like he's super smart super successful right. uh, a couple of weeks later like changed my major to a biochem major uh, ended up just getting like obsessed with like uh, nutrition biochem all of that ended up graduating second in my class um, ended up losing about like 120 pounds in college wow. just like fixed up my diet fixed up um kind of my lifestyle, uh, and then, like, ended up deciding that, like, I did not want to be a doctor because, like, all the doctors that I was, like, visiting all the time when I was, like, super overweight were, like, you're going to be on, like, drugs forever, you're, you know, like, uh, you're going to be on, like, you know, um, like, blood pressure medication, right, right, right. and I was, like, wow, my, like, life is over, and then I got, like, really into the health and wellness space. This was, like, back in the day when, like, health and wellness was, like, uh, Mason. like, Christian Guzman and, like, all the Olympia guys, like, putting out, like, nutrition content about how you need to, like, take whey protein. Right. And so I, like, followed a lot of that, ended up cutting a bunch of weight. I was, like, this is all I ever wanted to do. So I ended up, like, working at GNC, was on, like, the sales side. Shout out like, Cage. Shout out Cage, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, like, ended up, like, kind of, like, bringing a lot of my knowledge to that space. 
I was like, I love CPG. Mm-hmm. This is also when I was a biochem major and I switched over and I was drinking a bunch of coffee all the time. Right. Uh, one of my friends goes like, you should try this thing called matcha. Try matcha, i obsessed with it. Felt amazing, super clear. Um, and so I switched over from having like eight cups of coffee a day to just like drinking a couple cups of matcha. Uh, ended up loving it so much that I wanted to work at a matcha company. So I applied to every matcha company in the US. There's like three, right. so there's not, like, not that many. Uh, and end up kind of just coming down to New York and working at a company called Chacha Matcha, helped them with all of their marketing. Uh, like the, the precipice behind that brand was like, rather than spending into like acquisition marketing, like how do we just cool, like build like a really cool, awesome, sticky brand. Right. Uh, so we did brand collabs, like this is when like Supreme and like the hype beast era was yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. crushing it. So we did like collabs with like Nike, Ray-Bans. Uh, we did collabs with like Tiffany & Co. That was more recent um, that I wasn't a part of, but it was like something that they, they're working on. Right. Um, all these other big boys. And so we like learned how to like build brand equity off of just like partnering with other people. Then from there, moved to a company called Nugs, that like plant-based chicken nugget company that like blew up. Uh, and then most recently was at Health Aid Kombucha, right. helped them with kind of the rebrand, new digital, all of that. Uh, after that company got acquired, then ended up kind of wanting to decide like, would I be an internal po- like employee at another company? Uh, would I be a consultant? Would I start my own brand? Uh, like one of the one of the founders at Health Aid very transparently was like. Like you're like a terrible employee, like, <laughs> like just like you know, like man, you get some hard love throughout <laughs> your life. Yeah, like you do what you like, you just do what you need to do, and like you kind of bulldoze. Yeah. Uh, so like, start a company, and like that—that's like all I needed. So like um, about a year ago, I ended up starting my own company. It's called Good Peeps. Uh, the idea behind it is like there are a lot of products and brands that have like, um, like that just like taste amazing and like are great for people. Right. But they overcomplicate their marketing. Right. Um, and then there are really great operators that like I've met through all the companies that I've worked at that are like dying from like big company kind of like uh, like overhead and like inefficiencies right. or like at younger brands, but like they're way too creative uh, for the companies that they're at. So it's like, cool, my life is really, really like simple from there, which is like get all of my like really talented friends get a couple of brands that we really love, the, the mission, the vision, the actual product itself, uh, and like let's help them scale both on digital and in retail. Because like, right. uh, like I started up in like the digital first startup world, um, and so like we played that D2C game really well. We understand that like content and creative and experience is really what drives it, like just not like regular media buying. Right. Uh, but like something that was unique to my time at HealthAid was like, cool, like, how do we use digital, which is the way that all brands are being built, and like connect that to the offline space. Right. Of like, how does your social media like affect Whole Foods? You know, totally. Velocity I mean, Jay or, Carl's from Discord was on. He was talking right. about like, you know, it's too hard to scale um, an operation to really support retail unless you can build the community and deploy yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And like exactly. his relationship with the buyer, he's making yeah. the merchandisers like dance with him and stuff, and creating some like <laughs> you know some level of connection. Yeah, exactly. So like, our take is like, we want to work with a couple of brands in that like, let's call it thirty to. Like three hundred million dollars space, huge swing, but like right. uh, still in that like challenger brand section. And like, how do we do like creative, like breakthrough, innovative marketing rather than like doing like the best practices playbook bullshit? Right. It's like that, that. That's the business now. Yeah. And um, what's Nick's role in all this? You know, he's on the show too. Nick and I grew up together. Yeah. So like, um, Nick's been like my best friend for the past like ten years. Um, it was like when I was applying to all those matcha companies, uh, I ended up getting an interview with the guys. Uh, for like the next day and I was in Boston at this point point. Right. and so the interview was at like 7am 
I like hopped on a on a bus, got to his place at like 9 p.m. And from like 10 to 11, he was just like, "Cool, this is like what D to C is." Right. Explained the thing in like eight minutes. I then like like continued to watch that video like 10 times. Yeah. Took notes like the little biochem nerd <laughs> that I am, and then just like within like a couple of minutes at the Chacha interview, it was like, "Like let's let's get this going." And yeah. so. Like, huge shout-out to him for, like, helping me, like, start my, like, network here in New York. Um, and, like, those, like, early brands, um, like, he was, like, a huge part of kind of, like, bringing, like, a community together. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of the guys, like, Sanzo, like, Flyby, like, all the guys that, like, kind of, like, came up with each other yeah. um, was, like, a part of this, like, small New York group that, like, years yeah. later are now just, like, crushing it. Yeah, and, like, I feel lucky a lot of them are on the show. So, yeah, it, it, exactly. it's been a really cool experience. A lot of great stories so far. So... You mean to tell me that I can integrate my shop with you in less than a minute? You store all my inventory across your 50-plus fulfillment centers in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Europe, and Australia, and then fulfill all of my orders globally with over a 99% order accuracy rate? That's right. We do that for over 7,000 brands today. And you can do that for all my D2C, B2B, and Amazon orders? Yep. And when my next TikTok video goes viral or during the holiday rush... You can grow with me forever? Yes, again. Dang. That's the ship, Bob. Check out ShipBob at ShipBob.com to unlock your fulfillment provider that acts as your personal chief supply chain officer. All right, so I want to get into stop two here, and it's going to be some brand-specific questions for each of you. Yes. And Stacey, I want to um, sort of talk about the rise of Chomps a little mm-hmm. bit. So maybe all the way back from, like, the origin story, the motivation for starting the brand, and then the rise and growth of where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. So Chomps just had their 10-year anniversary. So 10 going years. on 11 years. Um, so the, it was a s- slow start, slow intentional start. Um, so Pete was passionate about fitness and health and nutrition. Rashid was a consultant who kind of had always struggled with weight and eating. And right. The two of them met um, through mutual connections. There was a poker game involved yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and things like that kind of bonded. And it kind of, the, the two of them coming together was a perfect mix of their backgrounds of like, I've got this idea and hey, I think I can execute this. Are they very different personalities? Very different personalities. Yeah, yeah. yeah polar opposite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they approach their relationship and dynamic kind of, you know, they joke about attending couples therapy early yeah, yeah, yeah. and things like that. But um, really, we're, we're intentional about starting the business to, to scale and to be profitable, but um, to be profitable from day one. So they both had um, invested small sums very early in the business and wanted to get the product right and the brand right and things like that. So really started D2C first, okay. um, building that community, listening to the consumers, listening to feedback. Um, and through that D2C start, had that two-way dialogue. I mean, right. Pete and Rashida were responding to customer service until like 2018. Yeah, right. Um, like every email so that came through. Yeah, it's so important. Um, Time-consuming, but it was it was critical. So you learn, right? Yeah. And especially you want to make all those like, yeah. you know, those early mistakes before you start going Omni, right? Yeah. It's like such a good feedback loop to be able to learn about those those, those early customer feedback points really, I think, set up the brand for success when you start going mass market because you can just get yeah. into retail and be like, oh, we learned something. Yeah. Let's change it, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it provided them a platform to ask questions and to learn and revise. And 
um, understand what was important to the community and what white space existed. Right. Um, and how do they reach that community? How do they build that before they're on the physical shelf? Um, so the, the retail growth was slower and very disciplined, but in the best way possible. Um, so it started with a pretty key retailer, Trader Joe's, you know, yeah. got the call. Um, That's where I discovered Chomps, yeah. by the way. I mean, it's still a huge kind of trial driver for us. Also really hard for brands to get in there. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, a lot of these brands are in Whole Foods which are just like not in Trader Joe's. They're like yeah. very selective. Very selective on branded product. A lot right. is private label. And, um, you know, they were asked to do private label early and they, they knew the power of their brand in the community and, and wanted to bet on that. Um, so wanted to make sure that they were giving everything they possibly could to right. Trader Joe's. Wanted to make sure that that relationship um, was was great from the start and really healthy. And so... Um, expanding out from there into natural grocers and kind of building into more of that natural space. And now the acceleration is just in incredible. It's phenomenal kind of fast-paced growth yeah. now, but um, never departing too far from the D2C e-com roots. Yeah. Um, that's continued to scale with the business and it is that the core of a lot of where we test and learn. Right. Um, but the, the retail growth is incredible, and we've had to shift and yeah, um, sure. future-proof the business with the changing omni-channel mix. Yeah, and just real quick, and we're going to dive definitely unpack yeah, this and yeah. dive into it. How many doors, ballpark, how many SKUs? Yeah, so in over 16,000 stores bruh, now. Bruh. Um, he, uh, so I wish I could share the number, doors. but huge kind of growth coming up in April for us, some okay. big milestones okay. coming up. Um, which will be exciting to kind of accelerate that. Yeah. But um, again... They accelerate past 16,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, healthy to have 40,000 points of distribution. Yeah. Of yeah. yeah or 40,000 unique stores. Yeah. So it's like, for you guys, you guys are so big already. It's yeah. like, you guys, like, if you guys get to 50K stores, like, yeah. that's totally. domination. Yeah. And, and so straight back to you, um, talk about Good Peeps. Like, what? why is it called Good Peeps? I, I like that. And... Um, how would you describe what you guys do for people, for the uninitiated? Oh, that's a great question. All right, the reason that it's called Good Peeps is, like, just through the years of, like, being in startups, like, you know, advising a bunch of businesses and kind of investing in, in a couple more, um, really the secret sauce at the end of the day is the people that are operating these companies. Um, and I think that so many businesses uh, tend to focus on just kind of, like, top line, what are the cost, like very much like P&L kind of views on the, their own company and they don't put their people first. And so like for us, the way that we kind of think about it is like, uh, if we have like great people on the team and we're working with great people from the client side, like that, that's like, that's all you could ask for in life. It's like, right. you're working on really interesting things with really interesting people um, and you're just like building like a, like a 20 year like kind of play of just like, Cool, like you're you're just kind of building like a like a squad. I don't know how to say yeah, outside yeah, yeah. of that. Uh, and so like the the tagline for the business is like good people, good work, good times. And like if all three of those things aren't happening with our clients at any point, uh, like we either kind of need to change something up or um, it's just like a good gut check for like are we doing the right thing? Or right. Not. So yeah, it's it, it's very much just like uh, there are a lot of like really passionate marketers that are in the space that just like simply want to work with like people that. Totally. Give a shit and aren't assholes. Dude, I mean, it's like more yeah. than half your day, right? Right, it's exactly. Like, it's not worth it if it's, if it's exactly. not sort of fun. Yeah, so like it's, it's as simple as that. And like what we do for our brands is like 
we we've kind of split it up into kind of like three big buckets. It's kind of expanding pretty quickly. So like bucket one is uh, kind of that like innovative component of marketing. It's like how do we do like brand marketing the right way? Like what's our content strategy? Like how do we actually like look, feel, show up in like a unique you know different way? Like Chomps, like we worked with those guys on like the new website, right? Like right. how do you how do you like elevate or kind of like uh, reimagine these brands without losing like the core ethos of who it is, but like amplifying the right parts of it. And so you do like unique, fun, cool experiences. Number two is like, like at the end of the day, like revenue is the most important thing for these, these right. companies. And so we help brands with all things D2C, e-tail, Amazon, et cetera. Uh, and like the big thing that I think differentiates us from like a marketing perspective is like uh, no nonsense, no bullshit, uh, trade, shopper, retail support marketing. So like rather than trying to like buy into these like random like uh, like Randell Media or like these like random like expensive, right, right, you know, right. Let, let's toss the cash and see what happens with it. It's like we we've worked like directly with a bunch of businesses where we can like look at their velocities, test into a bunch of different types of like media and activations, and like look at what's actually moving the needle and just recreate that, right? Uh, and just focus on on kind of just driving velocity. So like have that be obviously like working with like awesome partners like you guys where it's like you literally have like hacked the mainframe and like they <laughs> just like made our targeting the easiest thing in the world to working with like products like Visor and kind of Aisle where like they help us with like couponing um, or gift cards or totally. have that be or it's content partners. It's a team game to be honest. Exactly. It always exactly. has been. It's so omni or like you know content partners like JT who like was here for a couple of minutes. It's like we, we help brands kind of like bring all of the right kind of people together uh, both like our like our team other teams and just like kind of like you know, help them out with like D to C and retail. Like it really does take like, like, uh, like a village these mm -hmm. days to right. really like win in marketing because it's just like so broad and so specialized mm -hmm. that you kind of help bring all those people together. Yeah. 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 And so Stacey, I have another question for you. Um, a lot of the folks we've had on, I think, are in the like ten to fifty million dollar mm -hmm. revenue range, and and Chomps has obviously had like a meteoric rise. I think one thing I'm really interested in hearing about is just. Ha you've seen it through a lot of different phases. Mm -hmm. A lot of things have changed, and and yet, like everything about it, still screams scrappy startup. The culture still oh, yeah. feels right. Yeah. And so, I just wanted to talk or, or hear about how the organization has been able to, and yourself, build in that culture, mm -hmm. um, so that it doesn't feel like you know you're engaging with like some amorphous blob of a company, like mm -hmm. a bunch of talking heads in a corporate office. It does still feel like a startup, despite. Honestly, definitely leaving that territory. We still think about it as a startup. I mean, even at our scale, like everything we do, we have with that scrappy, kind of collaborative-driven mindset. And it does start with culture and with hiring. And being Rashid kind of defined traits of a champion um, from mm, the very like beginning. They were like, what made them successful to the point where they're going to hire their first full-time employee? And then how do we look for those people? And then how do we builds that into even, you know, the performance right. evaluation system. So it's not just the, like, what results we're driving, but it's how we're doing it all together. That's so core of what we're doing. So even if we're, you know, for example, hiring for some classical brand training, it's like they have to show that ability to think scrappy and, like, to think about how we can accomplish it. That's just the way we operate. Yeah. And, like, have to continue to operate. And we know testing will be so critical to the continued success right. of the company. Yeah. So 
thinking about kind of the evolution of the business, we're always like, okay, how do we future-proof the business because we are realizing scale. Like your decision-making gets a little bit riskier. It gets higher, but... If you're doing those kind of core tests, you prove it out, you know what you're looking for, then you scale it. That mindset is at the core of that decision making. And um, we've kept a lot of employees. Like my journey, for example, like I feel like I've grown with the company. And so starting just doing media buying and then now overseeing total marketing with brand, innovation, consumer, all of that at the core, it's like that focus on education and learning just never leaves. Yeah, and how do you think you, I think a lot of people, hiring is like the most difficult thing. I yeah. think, um, and like honestly, it's just, it's just a challenge for me, Shrey, I'm sure it's a challenge mm-hmm. for you. How do you, is there any like North Stars or mantras that Chomps has, like, has woven in the culture that helps you sort of try to figure out who would be a success at the organization? It's those traits, honestly. Yeah. It's thinking about scrappy, driven, collaborator, ambassador, like how do we tease out those qualities in the interview process? And it's tough, right? It takes longer. Like we were just talking about like the vision for the organization and things like that. And if that stays consistent and true, then you're finding people who can also adapt because everyone's role will grow with the growth of the company. No one's role on day one is going to be the same six months from now, a year from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, even without promotions. Like, if you were to never change, the scope of your role will change with the growth of an organization. We have to find that appetite and that curiosity up front. Yeah, absolutely. So, Shreya, so I want to kick it back to you. you talked about working with clients from thirty million dollars to three hundred million. Um, there's a wide distribution curve there, and so in working with uh, clients on opposite sides of the spectrum, what do you like about working with each? What don't you like working about uh, working with each? The pros and cons. Can you just talk us through how you think about the different opportunities that are presented to you? I think that startups do a great job of being of having lower egos. Like they're just they're down to try a bunch of stuff out, fail, and like their their core objective is just like how do we like move the ship in like the right direction like uh, in like in like a pretty fast like pace, right. and so like that's where you know transparently like, we could be a little bit more like innovative and creative where like we could take bigger swings and bets because they haven't built something that they have to worry about losing like the thing that they're worried about is building something uh, or trying to build something and not having impact. Right. And so they're they're trying to get their kind of like mission, vision, values into the world and see if people like kind of resonate with it. Whereas with bigger brands, it's like they, they've already established parts of the business that are really great. And so for us, it's like taking what's working and like kind of amplifying it in creative ways. So it's like smaller brands, like figuring out what people like about the business. And then with bigger brands, it's like how many people can we get uh, to fall in love with the, like with the story that you're currently telling that's currently working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so, Stacey, I want to talk about, you know, going back to your earlier point, you've obviously seen the business through a lot, your mm-hmm. roles have changed, and the company's changed fundamentally. So how do you think about the evolving need and priority of a few different categories? Acquisition marketing, brand marketing, mm-hmm. shopper marketing. Yeah, um, it's constantly changing. Right. Um, still in, in our budget reviews and things like that, it's, it's a topic of conversation, right? Um, I think the company was 
born by nature D to C. I think performance marketing was at the core of that, right. right? I think you had to invest within ROI guidelines. It was a profitable company. We didn't take large investment from the start. So, you know, we established those guardrails very early on. Um, we knew when to scale, when we had room, when maybe it was a position in the company where it wasn't the right time to take a risk and invest. And right. so we we had that really easy kind of guardrail and dialogue. Um, now, I mean, it's, it's a very relevant conversation for us. It's like, how do we now scale into brand building? Right. And that gets a little uncomfortable for totally. performance marketers. It, yeah. gets, it gets into a new area of risk where you don't have that direct measurement to tell you if it's working or not at the same clarity, at the same attribution, totally. and at the same frequency. Right. So standing things up like a brand equity tracker that gets pulsed six months, once a year, like that requires some patience. Right. Um, it requires a lot of um, kind of setting expectations um, yeah. internally and just understanding what phase you're in. But just because those metrics aren't as direct doesn't make them any less important. It's almost, you know, more important for us now in the stage we're at is you're moving outside of that core niche community audience and you're defining this new target consumer and you're taking risks and kind of reaching that. Right. But you have to nurture that audience. You yeah. have to kind of insert either your category or your brand or a specific SKU, whatever it may be, um, into the minds of the audience so that when they're ready to purchase, your brand is on that consideration set. Yeah. And what were some of those like North Star metrics when it was very focused on acquisition marketing? Was it like MER, LTV to CAC, you know, RS, the whole, ProS? The whole e-com kind of DNC evolution, right, is everything was so granular and so segmented and um, all platform data and things like that. So, you know, you were super granular in the metrics. Then with iOS and things like that, everything evolved a little bit right. more broadly, MER. But there's CAC, there's LTV, there's, you know, all of those kind of core metrics um, that you're focused on. Um, for us, a lot of it comes down also to the decision to diversify. It wasn't just chomps.com. Like, the decision was made really early. Like, let's sell on Amazon. Let's sell right. on Thrive. Like, let's lean into the convenience and the scale of these other e-commerce platforms. Um, was, that a, was that a hard decision? I feel like people have uh, competing takes. They like do. They, like, yeah. you know, like, um, not controlling the data, margin erosion. Mm -hmm. so, so how did you think about those elements early on? Yeah, that was a decision, actually, even before I started. Um, yeah. Pina Rashid made pretty early. It seemed like a pretty easy decision for them, but I'm sure it wasn't, right? right? Um, so Kaylin on our team was actually hired right before I was. Shout and out Shout out, Kaylin. Um, hired a couple months before me, so she is actually um, the outside of the co-founders, um, longest chunks employee. I'm second. There you go. Um, so she was in charge of Amazon, you right. know, so there was an Amazon hire before they even thought about bringing on kind of D2C specific performance media. So um, whether that was a hard decision, I think it was the right decision. Right. Um, the same with diversifying media mix. I mean, a lot of D2C brands, like you can pinpoint a specific channel. Right. Like, oh, they grew because of Facebook or they totally. grew because of influencers. Yeah, we were doing it all. Totally. I mean, we were spread pretty thin. Um, and like but, hedged. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. good for multiple reasons, but yeah. I also think like the, yeah. 
you watch so many companies after iOS 14.5, and selfishly, that was like a huge, that was when we found product market fit, you know, it was like, hey, we need to start throwing stuff out there and see what sticks, and fortunately, there was a good story to tell there. Yeah. Um, And then, going back to those North Star metrics, how have they evolved as you thought of omni-channel, like, how are you thinking about metrics differently when things are a a bit less clear and more opaque, take, like, a lot more time as you Mm -hmm. think about, like, it's no longer a one-to-one. There's like yeah. uh, awareness, consideration, and like nurturing a marketing funnel. Yeah, I mean, I think that Omni was was huge, right? I think if you think about the product and you think about truly what's driving trial, it's a single stick in mm-hmm. store, right? And I think Trader Joe's. What's didn't the equivalent teach us of chip, uh, sips on lips for for chomps? Sips on lips. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, beverage. They say sips on lips. Mm. We need a we need, we need a hot we need a, we need a hot tagline. Beverage I know liquid to lips. Mm. Sheriff's stomach is one that we use. For Noms our, on ch- charms. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll revisit okay, that. Okay, we're gonna come back to that. Yeah. We're gonna come back to that. Um, we're we're just hiring out for a copywriter. This is gonna be the first assignment. <laughs> <laughs> um, outsource for specialties. Um, but no, I think Omni became huge, right? Trial and trade-up. It's how do you continue to think about the impact of digital advertising on in-store and then also just building out sophistication within your shopper programs within the retail conversations and networks. So like our relationship with the sales team has continued to evolve and, and grow. We brought in a... Um, VP of Insights, um, consumer and strategy. So, how do you continue to to tie those two things right. two things together? Um, profit contribution, like at the wholesale level, at the e-commerce level, the customer level is really important. Um, and again, just balancing that that brand investment. So you're not burdening a specific customer with media spend. You know what the appetite is for investment, like where in the P&L can marketing be kind of absorbed? Um, just being really clear and upfront about like, it's not gonna be that immediate ROI, but right. it'll pay out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so hard to make those like, yeah. bets, right? Cause yeah. it's like, hey, we know this works for 90 days. Yeah. There's a lot of noise in the media <laughs> mix modeling that might, you know. Well, it's when can you turn it on, right. right? Like when can you afford to kind of start that flywheel? Right. How do you operate? Do you, do you, th- do you like operate under 80-20 rule or? It's, you know, like 20% experimental or? Uh, yes and no. I think we, we've we kind of approached it a little bit more like base build test. So um, it's similar mix, right? Kind of what's your, what's your base kind of core spend that's absolutely critical? What's going to be your build of like, these are proven tactics, but there's scale opportunity here. Right. And then what's truly new and incremental. Got it. And then throughout the year, how does your build turn into your base? How does your test turn into your build? Um, so it's a little bit, it's still leaning into that test and learn methodology, yeah. but a little bit more with the scale in mind. Got it. Okay, Shrey, I want to kick it back to you. Um, something that I think is really interesting about your business is sort of like capacity constraints. It's like Doris Dev was just on, um, Nick was on. And whether, like, despite not being a venture capitalist by trade, you're sort of forced into that position yeah. where you have limited time, you have limited bandwidth. And when a brand approaches you, or you approach a brand, you're making a bet um, as to like really believing in the mission, believing in the the operators that are behind it. So I'm curious, like, how do you think about qualification in the context of selecting who you work with? 
like one, uh, we do this like, we, we do this with every single brand that we onboard, which is like, uh, we just literally send it to everybody on the team. And it's like, do you, do you like that? Like, is the product good? Like at the end of the day, we're selling a food and beverage product. Like, and I think people tend to like over, uh, romanticize their products because of like the adaptogens or the mushrooms that they right. put in there or whatever. And like, when you actually like have it, it just tastes like shit. And like people just at the end of the day won't buy something that doesn't taste. Yeah, products like a baseline. Yeah, so that that's first. Two, we do like a pretty aggressive audit. So like uh, my old boss uh, at HealthAid, Gary, who's the CFO. He's not the CFO at True Classic Teas. Like oh, dude, the, the most successful <clears throat> D2C brand probably to launch in the past couple of years. Uh, he like absolutely kicked my ass when it came to like all things like P and L management. And so we do like a really in depth kind of you know take a look at just like, okay, is there actual scale to this business? Like, cool, if we go and like drop 10 million into marketing, like are these guys burning? Or like fundamentally, can these guys like have a scalable business? Uh, and then like lastly, like uh, as like smart as I'd like to sound, it's just like, it's kind of like a gut reaction. It's like, just like, do you, do your friends like the brand? And like, do you sign up for their mission, their vision, their values, and the people that are operating it? Like, so much of startups is just, like, placing a bet on, like, the, the jockey, the CEO. Right. And so, like, seeing, you know, kind of, like, their, either their, like, their vision for the business or their track record. Mm -hmm. And for later stage businesses, it, it's more like they, they've kind of been proven in the market. It's more like, uh, with their resources, can we realistically get to the place that they're trying to get to? Yeah. Uh, and with those bigger companies, do they also allow us the creative freedom to do the fun stuff that that you know we want to do? Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, interested from my perspective too. Like when you talk about it, the difference between the founder and the operators. Like how deep do you need to go in understanding? Like, okay, who am I actually going to be working with on a day to day? Yeah. And are these people going to support that vision of the founder? Is there conflict there? Is there alignment? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that you always end up realizing is, like, no matter what stage of the business they're at, the founder, like, sets the, the culture. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, no matter what, what is said at the end of the day. Like, these businesses are those founders' childs, and, like, whatever, how they operate in the business will kind of trickle down to the rest of the people. Uh, so, like, yeah, we, we, no matter what, spend time getting to know the founder, how big, mm -hmm. how small, have it be. Uh, but, yeah, I think you called it out perfectly. Like, you and I kicked it off, like, so quick and I was mm -hmm. like cool I'm working with Stacy like this is this is going to be fun yeah uh, and so like Stacy's like the perfect example of like when we started to ask her about the business it was just like she knew exactly what was going on like here's margin here are like targets here are goals like here's what success like actually like looks like for us yeah and like oftentimes like you'll see like other operators or people that we like work with where it's like other people that we kind of like go and like do that audit process with where Right. We ask them what success looks like, and like the founder doesn't know what success looks like. The operators don't know what success looks like, and it's like blind leading the blind. Like we're we're looking for like to partner with people that like just like know what a win looks like, either because they've experienced it or they have like a clear vision for yeah. it. Yeah, over seven thousand customers like Pet Lab, Chamberlain Coffee, Hero Cosmetics, Spike Ball, Dossier, TB12, Pit Viper, Hundred Thieves. Tens of millions of packages shipped every year. 50-plus fulfillment centers across the U.S., Canada, U.K., Europe, and Australia. An app store with 50-plus integrations like Shopify, Amazon, NetSuite, and many more. Managed inventory distribution, D2C and B2B fulfillment capabilities. 99.96% of order shipping on time. 99.95% order accuracy rate. 
Yep, we're talking about ShipBob again. We know picking a fulfillment partner or 3PL is not easy. And equally importantly, we know you never want to have to move or pick another one. That's why we partnered with ShipBob. From zero to 100 million in sales, ShipBob has you covered. Stop three on our route is brand intersection questions. So I'm going to ask some questions that were designed um, sort of at the intersection of what both of you do. So it's going to be one question asked of each of you for both of you to respond based on your perspective. And the first one is a fun one. Um, can you talk about working together? So, I mean, I saw the website. <laughs> Give it a sec. They don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I saw the website. I mean, that was incredibly well done. So why don't you guys talk about just how that stuff all came together? You want to do it? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I mean, Shrey came begging to work with us, obviously. <laughs> sounds, sounds right. He's like, whatever you need me to do, he's I'll do. He's in Pete's DMs, he's in your DMs. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, we got to work together. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was, I think, perfect timing, right? He yeah. was starting his own thing. He obviously had the same passion for the brand that we did. Um, we were, you know, we had a gap on our team. I think we... Um, had opportunity to kind of bring on some bandwidth. And, you know, he was always kind of challenging me to think about, again, like, how do you think about not just a team of full-time employees, right. but how do you bring on consultants? Like, how do you think about the gaps in our business and how do you fill those? So it really was, like, I defaulted to formality and an SOW and a scope of work. And Trey's like, what do you need help with? <laughs> like, just let's just let's go month to month, whatever you need it to be. He's like, it's fine. We'll figure this out. Yeah. Um, and so it really kind of went from there, the website project being the first one yeah. where we just had some some change in the team and needed someone to come in. And um, he had worked with our partner before. He had kind of gone through that. And again, thinking about someone who had big picture in mind, but also the executional expertise to jump into a project like that. Yeah. And then it's just continued to evolve from there. It's like, what is the need on the team? What are the biggest challenges we're facing? Like, what are the things that I'm not good at that he can help come right. in and, and help solve? And um, it's a very, I think, mutually beneficial relationship. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, like when we're champs. Oh, great. Like, uh, the best thing is, Stacy reaches out to me, and I think it was like right after the last expo, our ending convo was she goes, Oh my God, you make me feel like we're not doing enough. <laughs> yeah. Is that what I said? Sounds right. And then like Sounds three right. months later, she's yeah. like, Oh, hey, like let's chat. Yeah. And so we ended up chatting. Like they were going through the website. I saw like the first version of it. I like verbatim said, This looks like shit. And I was like, I, I know what this needs to be just because I'm a consumer of the product. I know the brand. Yeah. Uh, and then after like two years, I like look in my Instagram DMs. It says Pete Maldonado. <laughs> and then he responds to me two years later going. I have a few of those. Yeah. I, I heard you're chatting with Stacy next week. Yeah. Like, let's get it going or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so like that that was all it is. It's just like, I love the product. Like, right. like we... we worked with each other through that kind of like smaller like group that was like mm -hmm. chatting through Amazon. Um, and like, like I say this to like everyone, I'm not gassing Stacy up, I'm not gassing like Pete up, but like Trump's like literally one of my favorite brands because like, you guys do an amazing job of like, uh, for a brand that's as big as you guys are, you know exactly what like a win looks like. It's like, cool, Shrey, like we need a good website that converts, that tells a great brand story. Uh, and like, it's something that like, 
you know, we think that like this would be the best way for a new consumer to, or like a current like consumer to engage with the brand. And then you guys do a great job of also just being like, we will get out of the way. Like you know where your specialty mm-hmm. is, and like we'll put in our opinions. But like otherwise, like go sprint. Like go do what you need to do. And like that, that's like all me and my team could ever ask for. Yeah. Um, but like I love working with Stacey. It's like I'm like a little bit more like chaotic and creative, and Stacey's like much more like structured and analytical. And mm-hmm. so. Um, when you're like working on a business like Chomps that is as big as that, like having this like one two is like is awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to overlay a bunch of the new website content um, yeah. on the as you're giving your explanation there, yeah. <laughs> which will be pretty fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next question I had for the two of you is really around, and, and this is clearly thematic of this episode, but the zero to one, one to two. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, Shrey, I think you see both of those often between your clients. But in, in Stacey, you've probably seen the company have to shift from that. Mm-hmm. But I just want to talk about that next level because so many of these episodes are talking about just like, you know, getting off the ground. Um, how have you had to like think about rebuilding the organization to support um, what is such a different game? And then like, you know, sort of just be able to keep that speed up and not turn into one of those companies that just like gets paralysis and can't really move quickly to to adapt. Yeah, I mean, I think that you have to understand the role of your organization at every stage of the business and you have to think ahead. Because a lot of what you do, I mean, we org chart plan and we org chart plan and we reorganize and do this and that. And what I found too is if there is like a departure in the organization or some shift, it gives you the opportunity to totally rethink and say, okay, what does the organization need at this stage? So the role of marketing has changed significantly. The jobs to be done of marketing and e-commerce and innovation and consumer research has all changed significantly. So how do you think about bringing on talent or up, you know, upgrading your partners, I guess? Kind of always think about leveling up your partners and relationships as you as you grow and you change and as the metrics change. And I think communication with your team as that's happening is critical because their KPIs will change. The company's KPIs will change. And I think with the growth of every new partner, every new addition to the team, um, it's going to require a lot of communication that didn't necessarily exist before, new processes, kind of, you have to recraft kind of where people have ownership. Right. And then, again, continue to just enable them to do what they do best because that's why they're there. Yeah. And, and quickly on that, um, how has your sh- thoughts or, like, strategy shifted as you've now started to move more towards retail? Because the company mm-hmm. does have its roots in, like, digitally native subscription. Yeah. And a lot of what makes Chomps, Chomps, the beautiful website, all this self-education, mm-hmm. you get to the shelf and... Mm-hmm that's not at your fingertips anymore. The product has to stand alone. Yeah. So how do you think about the the challenges and repositions, not from like a team and strategy perspective, but like the marketing elements of moving more omni than you have yeah. been traditionally? I mean, I'll just start by saying that the website changed what it, it changed what the goal of the website was. Like mm-hmm. it was no longer just to solely convert. It was no longer 
just about subscription. I mean, we created a platform to communicate, to build up our community, to showcase champions, right. to support the blogs and education and kind of mission-driven part of the organization. So even something as simple as a website where it used to be totally D2C conversion-based, right. the scope of that now changed with Omni. So every touch point, including digital, needed to change. But I don't want to, you know, overlook how important everything else is. Right. So as we think about the omni-channel growth, that kind of, like I mentioned, the job of marketing changes significantly. Like you're not, you're you're finding your broader consumer. You're actually trying to get the physical p- person in store. Right. And for chumps, like our first job is even inserting and educating on the category. Right. Like if you think about our product, like we don't have the best reputation in meat stick thanks to, you know, some Slim Jims. Slim Jims and Jack Links of the world. Right. So we are bringing a totally incremental buyer to the category. So how do you even get a meat stick to be on someone's consideration set. It right. wasn't on mine before I knew You wouldn't even stop at that shelf probably because yeah, of all those like preconceived notions. We literally timed ourselves to find our own product in the store because you have to get... Our consumer is not walking down that aisle. Right. They're not looking at that aisle already today. So marketing has to accomplish totally. that. Like totally. your communication and your messaging has to accomplish that. And it all starts with defining that consumer. You know, we're not converting a Doritos loyalist into a healthy meat yeah. snack buyer. Did you ever try to like get a different part of the shelf so that the, the adjacency yeah. wasn't there? Yeah, and stuff? I mean, it's it's an ongoing conversation. Like those things become marketing jobs and marketing totally. conversations of like, how do you work with retail to help tell the story? Of a, di- of a different point of distribution in store. How right. do you think about a different placement or merchandising or a shipper to kind of get that cross-category purchase right. and at the perimeter of the store? Like, how do we get Chomps outside of that middle of the yeah. aisle? Anouk was, uh, Anouk, the founder of Belgian Boys, was on, mm-hmm. and she, she's awesome. Um, she talked about, like, when she first launched in retail in the States, they put her in a freezer, mm-hmm. and it was frozen breakfast. And she was like, what the fuck, like, be- like breakfast doesn't exist, like at least where I'm from, it's supposed to be like fresh and natural. Mm-hmm. And and so she lobbied and lobbied hard with the retailers mm-hmm. to be in the refrigerated section. And so now it's next to the eggs, next to the milk. Mm-hmm. There's adjacency, so it's it explains that there's something different yeah. here quickly. There's freshness communicated, all that stuff. Yeah. And Jay Carl's also from Midday Squares was like, we like we didn't want to be with the granola mm-hmm. bars or things like that. We wanted to be next to fruit. Like, that's where we wanted to be. And yeah. they talk so much about those relationships and those placements as, like, mm-hmm. the the ways to really win on mm-hmm. shelf. Um, real quick, before I get to Shrey, yeah. have, did you do anything different with the branding and packaging as you made that push? So there's still renovation, I think, happening okay. within that. Um, I mean, the biggest change, kind of success point, is the packaging you see today. Um, so this refresh to just how you think about the bright, bold colors right, the on, shelf. on the shelf. Yeah. yeah, and just think about the category. Totally reframed the brand and the product. So how is it's got to be three years ago now, maybe? Um, that's the current packaging you see today. But, like, you're holding up the eight-count pantry pack. So we all know right. trial and trade-up, the importance of that impulse mm. buy and then trading up. 
So again, the the omni channel comes to play because right, this like is, trial versus yeah, exactly. You can't do subscription anymore. So like this right. becomes your pantry retail yep. equivalent of the subscription buyer. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Shrey, um, you've obviously seen a lot, and something I think you help people a lot with is offline. Just mm -hmm. talk us through the challenges, what you're seeing in those spaces. Yeah. So I mean, most of our brands and, and most CPG brands like. As they hit a certain scale, uh, they start to like have a much like larger focus on trade shopper. And like the way that we describe kind of shopper marketing, trade marketing is like you're you're given like a very uh, distinct set of hand, like set of cards or like a, a hand that is like a very well defined king, a very well defined queen. Like you have your end caps, you have your shippers, you have your wobblers, you have you know any of those activations. It's like those things can't change. Uh, but like what can change is like how you actually go about uh, kind of like executing on those certain things. So like for one, like for an example, is like how do you make like shippers interesting outside of just like like highlighting and identifying the the product attributes? Like, you know, are there ways to kind of like innovate in that experience? Like one of our brands, like Nomadica, they're they're a wine brand. Um, mm. the whole like idea behind that business is uh, like we're gonna bring you a sommelier experience to your yeah, to it's your great home. product. It's it's ridiculous how good that right. product is at its price. Uh, and so like what we do is like okay, how do we like back into uh, like a really unique experience here at this store? Like so what we're gonna be doing on like all of our shippers and end caps is like on the top it's gonna say like you know take me and like you know open this when you get home and like when you open that URL when you get home it's gonna be a set of like videos of like Kristen the founder like describing the wine the tasting notes mm. the the, the origin behind like the, the winemaker that we partnered with right. to make that stuff. And then below that, it's gonna be like, uh, scan this to like find the things that you should buy in this store mm -hmm. that you should like take home and like consume with this wine. Mm. And so like we're bringing that like, like curating like the food and like the like right. the assorted kind of like connected things that you'd have with that wine to like make it taste like this, make it taste like that, bring out those flavor notes. And so like for brands who are trying to like do creative, innovative marketing, trade shopper, it's like, how do you just like, how do you not let your sales team tell you what needs to go on your shipper at the end of the day? Because like, they'll push you to just do the like really simple, like just throw on the product attributes, call it a day. Right. And then you have like these brands like Liquid Death who are like, oh, we're gonna make our shipper a casket. Dude. And like yeah. more brands need to be doing things like that to actually like break through because- Did you see their, re their retail thing and now covers half the can being like, it's like not safe for work or whatever. It's amazing. Like so that it's, it covers everything yeah. except liquid death. Yeah. It's like you must be but you over whatever it's that you want to pull it down or grab it exactly. and stuff. Yeah. So it's like we have like the, the physical experience that is like what we do there and then the digital experience. But I think that brands like get lost because their investors or their advisors or whatever, you know, as you kind of scale the brand from let's call it like zero to one, right. you, you validate the business and the product that it's marketing. Those brands then have like D2C and Amazon. They start to get some like initial trade and shopper distribution or retail distribution. And then the, like what you see oftentimes, like the brands like lose themselves and just like scaling retail. Like the whole org just like goes completely around like supporting the sales team. Right. And so they go from a marketing led organization to a sales led organization. Uh, and then once they like go beyond that 75 mil mark, oftentimes they, often have to go back to being a marketing-led organization because they now have the distribution. Uh, they've already done all the best practice promos, you know, weeks of promo on hand, optimizing the promotional strategy. And for them to then kind of go through that second kind of S-curve of growth, 
they have to like re like they have to like reimagine the business in a way such that like cool we've now optimized the current audience that would organically buy this product how do we now like unlock additional new audiences that would like fall in love with our product our current messaging isn't you know going to do that promoting more is not going to do that um and so like i think you know something that like brands are coming to us more and more uh you know over the past months is like how do we like how do we like do the stuff that's really hard because we have like the basics of the trade the shopper down like right. how do we like actually like cut through the noise of like everyone having a cpg brand right um and like show up in that unique way on digital and and in retail yeah i think that's so important just from the brand perspective too cuz like it inserts so many more barriers to your conversation on how do you execute that marketing. Yeah. So like, what is that conversation with your sales team? Like, what is your sales team running against? Like, what are those retailer conversations? How do they talk to their category buyers and managers that are going to have different goals and objectives? So like, first, how do you even have those conversations internally? Then those things aren't inexpensive. Yeah. Like, they're not dynamic in the right. same way that digital, digital is, yeah. tends to be. So like, even getting a new shipper yeah. is like kind a of battle. a hard thing, <laughs> yeah, right? right? It's like how do you go beyond that really core evergreen shipper you can plug and play anywhere? Yeah. You explain it's a like, shipper just in case people aren't familiar with the jargon. Shipper can be, I mean, anything from it's an additional like end cap placement or it's kind of that cardboard like merchandising unit that holds your product. Right. Um, and you... The benefit is you can get it out of the aisle. So we talked yeah. about the challenge of you know being in the jerky set or the aisle. Right. You can have it cross merchandised in the store, but then again, how do you tie ROI to that? Right. Like the goal of that is trial, but at the same time, it's really costly to do any test and learn. Like how do you get the buy-in from the retail? So there's new barriers to those types of things as you think about retail expansion. Yeah. Like so much of it, like a so much of it at the scale that you guys are at mm-hmm. is egos and like working relationships. Cause like what, what like happens at brands, like your guys, a scale, it's like, uh, a lot of brands get like stuck in analysis paralysis cause they, they don't want to take a swing. They, mm-hmm. they want to maintain what they have, but they're not at the size of like an Oreo yet. Where like, right. you know, they're good forever. And so like what we push a lot of our brands to do is like, uh, if you don't take the swings and the bets, like you are actually going to lose and kind of like uh, destroy the business that you you spent all this time building because you're not taking bets. Like I think Chomps does it perfect, where it's like you continue to be a startup up until you're a billion dollar business mm-hmm. because like what you're seeing happening is like a lot of these like mid-sized market brands are getting squeezed out of their own categories right. because they don't quite have the distribution of these like big boy Oreos, Nestle, all of that. Um, and these like new and up and coming brands now have like the community, the marketing, totally. the new era like digital that's like eating their lunch. Yeah. And so like for brands that are at like chomp size, like you have to like innovate on like the trade shopper side and like take category, mm-hmm. but like you even have to work harder on the marketing side because you you have to really like do the marketing that like kind of breaks through and is like really fun, unique, and interesting. But like like your job is like the hardest which is like also getting the buy-in mm-hmm. to like let the let the broader organization like let you do that thing right and so yeah like that's like a that's a job that like you have to deal with like every day yeah let this go by real quick mm-hmm. i saw a dude walk out of the the front driver's seat i thought that someone was breaking into the truck oh my God. we just like, start moving it was, just, yeah, it was just a dude with a salad <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um and so straight you talk about like bri- bridging that 
chasm, and maybe it's at the $75 million mark. Obviously, I'm sure it moves around, but Stacey, I think Chomps had to like um, halt growth and do like a little bit of a pullback and reset. It did. Um, was that last year? Yes. Yeah, so can you talk yeah. about the motivation for doing that and like the, sometimes the need to do that? Yeah, so the, the need was inventory constraints and capacity from a production standpoint. Got so. It. Um, there was a challenge. Demand outgrew what we were able to produce. Right. Every stick we made went off the line and went somewhere immediately. So good there was good good problems to have. Um, but it did. It forced conversation. I think internally to say like, what is our prioritization? We went into an inventory prioritization mode and. We can always come back and sell to D to C. Amazon will never kick us off, but right. we cannot lose that tag on shelf. Totally. And we had a lot of really exciting opportunities and test re- retailers that we needed to go into. Like right. you can't delay that a year, a year and a half based on reset schedules totally. on the shelf. So it was tough conversations, but very real conversations that forced everyone to take a step outside of their function and understand what was critical for the growth of the business. Right. So that started at my level. Like I was just e-commerce at the time and was being asked to shut down everything we built. And it was heartbreaking. And you build this team that's high growth and, you know, outside of inventory could continue to kind of go and go. But, um, had to understand the business. And it was actually like a huge learning for us to understand that and kind of look through and talk to the other teams and it forced better collaboration and dialogue. Um, And then just as a team, marketing and e-commerce, like really challenged us to think about, okay, we were, we sprinted up until this point, we were spread so thin, like what is this foundation that we built? Where can we repair? Like, where can we invest in building a new website? Like, how do we audit our own programs? Like, challenge every decision we've made up until that point and do that foundational work so that when the flip switched back, we were ready to accelerate and, like, really exciting Q1 results. Like, we're outpacing that kind of rebound that we thought we could have because we were able to realign team to prioritization and then now that we're back it's like the momentum was never yeah. really lost so awesome i'm sure some a, a deep breath and sometimes i actually think also yes was probably pretty yeah nice. it was a little <laughs> bit of a luxury yeah, yeah. we weren't bored i'll yeah, tell you that sure. but um i'm curious how you guys think about skew expansion and growth mm-hmm. and the need for it and i've heard like there's there's so many different ways to think about it right you look at athletic greens one product yeah. and like that's it right mm-hmm. um but all, at the same time, I've also heard people like the need to, you know, have multiple SKUs and expand their presence on the shelf. And, and sometimes retailers even want that. And they want, you know, something that's clearly doing well for brands to lean into it. So do you guys have any philosophies that, at Chomps or otherwise, that guide SKU growth? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you look at our portfolio, I think it, it shows you we've been disciplined in that growth and kind of that innovation within the product. So. Um, we continue to look at and evaluate white space for the existing product format we're in. And then we, we did go through the exercise of what's that three to five year vision? Like, what is that strategic roadmap of, um, when and where do we innovate? Um, 
also on shelf. Like, what does the skew rationalization look like? We did a turf analysis. Like, when does it stop being incremental, like new flavors? When does it stop being incremental? Exactly, exactly. So, um, proteins, flavors, kind of different pack sizes and different types and things like that um, is all work that we continue to do. And, um, you know, at at this stage of the company, we we have that roadmap laid out that we're always really evaluating against um, within that innovation and growth strategy. Awesome. What about you, Trey? Yeah, we look at it in two lens. It's like, one, it's the buyer's side, and then two, it's the consumer side. Mm-hmm. Like, from the buyer's side, it's it's build and block, right? Like, you have an incentive to get as many points of distribution as you can because you'll, you'll look the best on shelf and you're most likely to, you know, have the kind of ethos of the brand that exists. Right, that's uh, the winning one. That's the, right. And, and then the other part of it is like, like, it's a game that everyone plays, but it's like, you also want to make sure that there's as little room for your competition to show up on the shelf next to you. Right. And so, like, for, uh, you know, one of the brands that I used to work at, like, a health aid, like, kombucha was, like, uh, as much as, like, everyone sees it as, like, you know, hippie yoga vegans, like, it's like a cutthroat business because, like, right. like, our incentive was to get as many SKUs as we possibly can and own mm-hmm. that shelf. Um, and, like, we, we would launch innovation just to make sure that, like, you know, other other people wouldn't wouldn't get the chance, or maybe less of a chance to, to show up on shelf. And then from a consumer side, like at, at the end of the day, like uh, you don't just want one product forever, unless it's like a health product or uh, like a traditional supplement, like like a traditional supplement. Like, sure, you can take AG one for for the rest of your life. It, right. It's just that's what it is. You rip a shot of it in the morning, but like like you want to make sure that you maintain kind of. Um, uh, either like fridge space or shelf space, mm-hmm. and like you could go about that by either having like a, a product that has like a great consumption frequency that you could just blindly take, or like you have a product that's like really great and like whenever I'm bored of another flavor, like I just want to switch it up. Right. Like at the end of the day, like these two products are like my top two that I, I always consume. It's like, but I'll go through like seasons where like a couple of weeks, all I want is like the original beef. Right. And then, like, you could not force me to have another one, and I'll have, like, jalapeno for the next couple of weeks. And so it's like, right, I right, love right. chomps, but, like, you know, my palate just, like, Yeah, people changes. go through phases. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and it's who in the household is consuming the product what? as well. Yeah. So what's the flavor profiles? Like, like you said, like, what's the share of the pantry? Yeah. You know, like, how often are people ordering? That's where D2C data comes in, right? Like, what flavor combinations and things like that are people getting? And then... How do you maximize that space on the shelf? Yeah. What do you guys think the biggest mistake people can make in the context of emerging food and beverage startups are? Ooh, I'm going to answer this. Question, yeah. Okay. Uh, overly innovate in the start. Yeah. Like you see a bunch of brands now come up with like six hero SKUs. Right. I know like, most consumers don't even know who you are. One mm-hmm. and number two, like what your what your products are, and so you run into this like confusing game of like trying to market six products at once and the consumer's like, I I have no clue what's going on. Like, right. start with one product, like, gain product market fit, then kind of expand your set uh, from there. And, like, I think the other thing that, like, a lot of emerging brands do is, like, since so much of startup is, like, blind leading the blind, like, people listen and, this is, like, slightly savage to say, but, like, a lot of people, like, listen to their friends and other founders Such a good, that are completely lying to one another. Like, it's it's CPG Twitter circle jerk. It, exactly. We'll bleep that out. But, like, yeah. you, sometimes people need the... Yeah. There's not enough tough love going on. And, yeah. like, I think I, I put it up to you the other day. It was, like, the people who just blindly gas you up, 
like find the people who maybe put you in an uncomfortable position yeah. with the feedback they give you and keep those people yeah. as close to the hip as possible because those are the ones that actually care. Yeah, exactly. And like so much of CPG is blind leading the blind and like monkey see monkey do. And what you see is that these brands who are trying to establish a unique voice or like a unique presence on shelf, they end up not seeing initial results in like what's working for their kind of brand and like how they want it to kind of show up in the world. And rather than trying to figure out a different way of telling the same story, they just go and copycat the other brands that do have wins on social, on shelf. And like, you know, everyone then becomes a meme company or everyone becomes a founder-led brand where it's like, what you really need to be doing is uh, like figuring out um, how your story comes to life. And like that just really often comes down to like you trying to tell that story a thousand different ways. And like, you, you'll end up finding like one or two winners. So yeah. it's, like, it's, it's like staying true to who you are when shit gets really tough and things aren't working out because oftentimes they, they won't. Yeah. Yeah. What's your perspective? Yeah, I think the, the copy-paste, right? I think the blindly taking, you know, the best practice of what's happening out there and just looking like the content or looking like the other brands, like right. trying to just find that and fit in. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's... It's easy to do. Like right. it's easy to be like, okay, these are the top partners in the space. Let's use them. Let's do this. Here's the shot. But I think what we're really challenging ourselves to do right now, and that, that Trey is helping us on, is like, how do we find something so ownable and so uniquely chomps that no other brand logo can be pasted on it, and totally. it makes sense, yeah. right? And it's it's staying true to that original startup. That's what makes it so unique, right? Yeah. It's like. You were, you were successful to that point. Like, don't lose that, but you have to continue to evolve and tell your story and connect right. with consumers in that in that way so you stand for something in the in the pantry. Right. And it's not just, like, you know, it, it's something you want to be able to share and, and tell your friends about and, you know, get that, that buzz going. Yeah, for sure. All right, last question. Easy question for me to ask, hard one for you guys mm -hmm. to answer. Um, what is your respective hopes for Chomps and Good Peeps in, in, in where they'll be, let's say, five or so years from now? Oh, we're building, and like I truly just uh, I'm calling my shot right now. We're building the BCG of CPG. And like what I want Good Peeps to be in a couple of years uh, is kind of like three foundations. One, we want to have like we want to have a seat at the table at the brands that we're building. And so like we're launching and kind of building our, our own fund right now. And so like we want to be able to invest in the brands that we work on because uh, we have the most vested interest in, in making sure that they win. And so like the marketing right. is what differentiates it. So like let's go take a bet with, you know, uh, the brands that we work with. Two, we're building like a, a retail business from both like a marketing support perspective as well as a brokerage service. And then lastly, it's the it's the actual like core marketing itself, which is like the D to C, the trade, the shopper, the brand, right. all of that. So we we really want to be like that one stop like growth shop um, for all things consumer. Yeah. What do you see? You know, Ch Chomps is is building towards a, a billion dollar snacking brand. You know, to be an iconic, healthy, better for you, best for you snacking brand. Um, it, it might sound like, you know, I don't know, cheesy or kind of repetitive say, but like to create that platform for Chomps to continue to grow and to build the permission with our consumers to create new products and solve different need states for consumers, I think is, um, you know, what we're continuing to, to 
build and create that platform to help solve for conflicting information out there about right. health and nutrition. Yeah. Awesome. All right, guys. So we're at, we sold $6 million our first year and did $80 million in sales last year. That's what the COO of Adventure Challenge, a longtime customer of ShipHop's, shared with ShipHop the other day. The pace of growth for Adventure Challenge has been insane, but it wasn't all positive. It started with a failed crowdfunding project. Then, investors assured them that their business would fail. They raised $0 in outside capital. And it somehow only took a few years to hit $80 million in sales. They started off fulfilling all orders themselves. They'd have U-Hauls packed with thousands of products, making endless trips from their storage unit to the post office. It was not scalable. It was definitely hurting their growth. It definitely wasn't fun. That's when ShipOb started their partnership with Adventure Challenge. By being able to focus on growing the business and product development, sales took off like a rocket ship. While Adventure Challenge initially focused on D2C sales, their popularity started driving other conversations. They started to stock several hundred smaller boutiques across the country, then Francesca's, then Kohl's. And while they're based in California and most of their customers are in the U.S., the word of mouth and viral videos on TikTok and Instagram started driving demand around the world. So then they started filling orders out of Canada, and then the U.K., and now Australia. From a failed Kickstarter and getting $0 in outside investment on day one to over $80 million in revenue, Adventure Challenge has defied the odds and built a global powerhouse brand alongside their partnership with ShipOb, who's there to help you completely unlock your brand's growth. Read the entire story at shipop.com forward slash adventure dash challenge. Top four here. It's a segment we like to call the hot box, um, a tongue-in-cheek version of the hot seat. So I'm going to ask you guys a few this or that questions. The objective is that you guys answer sort of without thinking the, the A or B of the situation that you identify most with. So I'll have Stacy answer first. Right, you're gonna answer second for all these, right? Okay. You guys ready for the hot box? Do it. All right. <laughs> so is he? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Jazz up. Uh, cold plunge or hot tub? Hot tub. Cold plunge. Beach house or ski house? Uh, beach. Beach. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Sunrise, sunset. Sunset. Can you just say matcha? I know. Change your I life, and now you're back to eight <laughs> cups of coffee a day. Yeah, you start a company. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. the sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Sunrise. D T D T C or D two C? T C. D to C. I don't know. It's like huh? it's like t- it's huh? like in between. You have to pick Non-tune letter or number. I'll I'll do the letter. Okay. Neat or messy? Neat. Depends on the day of the week. Corgi or golden retriever? Golden retriever. I don't know what a corgi looks like, so golden retriever. What do you mean? It's the right it's answer. Like, it's the right answer. It's the short, little stubby legs, <laughs> and they got a big booty. A oh, golden retriever. Yeah. <laughs> Winter or summer? Summer. Summer. Tennis or golf? Golf. I want Tennis. Pineapple pizza or candy corn? Pineapple pizza. Neither. You have to pick one. That's not how this Pineapple works. pizza, remove the pineapple. <clears throat> live music or DJ? Live. DJ. Live in space or live underwater? Ooh, underwater. Underwater. Fight one horse-sized duck or a thousand duck-sized horses. <laughs> oh my god! Um, what was the a thousand? That's pretty unhinged when writing this. <laughs> a thousand duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? They just have to like. Oh, horse-sized duck. Horse-sized duck. Yeah. Horse-sized. I would do the thousand little guys and just start kicking them. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet snacks or salty snacks? Sweet. Salty. Call, or, call, text, or audio notes? Um, call. Call. Read or write? Write. Read. Work remote or work on-site? Remote. Remote. Laundry or the dishes? Laundry. 
dishes. Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. Oh, Instagram. Uh, personally, for building personal brand, LinkedIn. For wasting like three hours of my day, TikTok. There you easily. go. Dancing or people watching? Ooh, people watching. Dancing. Cocktails or beers? Uh, cocktails. Hard kombuchas. <laughs> feel too hot or feel too cold? Uh, too cold. Cold. You get un- one animal to protect you against a horde of zombies, gorilla or grizzly bear? <gasps> grizzly. Grizzly. They don't have thumbs or anything. Yeah, they got them. Yeah, Wolverine. Claw. Give up bread or give up cheese? Ooh, cheese. Bread. Air guitar or air drums? Drums. Guitar. Board games or video games? Board. Video. $50 on red or black? Ooh, red. Black. Start early or leave late? Uh, start early. Leave late. Fiction or nonfiction? Uh, nonfiction. I constantly forget the difference between the two. Whatever's fake, real. Not fake. Whatever's real. Whatever's real? Yeah. Nonfiction. Non-fi- nonfiction. Do you know what the word fiction means? <laughs> it's just non. I forget fake sometimes. Fake and not fake. Fake and then not. Yeah. 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 Can't wait to make that Friend, like a. Take him out of can't here. Can't wait to make that a clip. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are you traveling next? Or where would you like to travel next? Europe or Asia? Asia. Asia. Rich and famous or rich and anonymous? Rich and anonymous. Famous. Playlists or podcasts? Uh, podcasts. Playlists. Cardio or weights? Cardio. Both. Pick one. Weights. Pancakes or waffles? I know the rules of this game. <laughs> pancakes or waffles? Uh, pancakes. Pancakes. Speak to animals or speak ten languages? Ooh. Animals. Animals and then start a digital service that lets you talk to your dogs. That's... All right. <laughs> I'd fund it. Netflix or YouTube? Uh, Netflix. YouTube. Telepathy or teleportation? Teleportation. Teleportation start the best 3PL And no one ever. asked for the follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> Trucks or billboards? Ooh. Trucks. Trucks. Don't fuck Easily. this up, guys. It's a very easy Trucks. response. Trucks. <laughs> um, receive good news first or bad news first? Bad. bad. All right, well, the bad news is we've come to the final stop on our show. Um, I want to thank you guys for joining me. I thought this was a really awesome discussion, definitely unlike any of the episodes we've had so far. So really appreciate you guys joining us. Um, Wanted to give people who are listening an opportunity or or yourselves an opportunity to tell people who are listening where they can uh, contact you guys, where they can find your products, things like that. So, Shreya, why do we start with you? Uh, You can find us on LinkedIn. You can find us at thepeeps.co. You can also find me on Twitter. Uh, but like you know, there's only one Shrey Joshi, so just yeah, a lot of Tom Shays, generic white Shays. Irish name, not really doing me a ton of favors. <laughs> I, I actually own the SEO on my name now, so look us up, and we'll be the first ones. And outside of Peeps, the like terrible, disgusting candy, we're the other one that shows up on Google. So just just look us up. All right, yeah. and in the future, we'll just uh, we'll have you above them. I think I'm trying to own that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, find Chomps in over 16,000 retail stores. Yeah. Um, what so are some of the big retailers? So Whole Foods, Target, Kroger, Walmart, Trader Joe's. Okay. Um, and then um, Chomps.com, Amazon, Thrive. Do Chomps.com, from Chomps.com. From Chomps.com. Um, Chomps.com, Amazon, Thrive online. Um, find me, Stacy Hartnett, um, on LinkedIn, or just shoot me an email at Stacy at Chomps.com. Awesome, and, and Chomps is sold, if I'm not mistaken, right here. So uh, why don't we go? Right why don't we go, go check out Chomps? Yeah.